this, make sure I'm hooked up there, we, and turned on. We started this uh, last week, but we started a couple weeks ago talking about government and, and kind of in light of everything that's going on in the world around us and so forth, and really just so that you and I can have a, a proper biblical perspective and uh, about things and about life, and we'll have a few more things to say as we go along this morning. Uh, the, I just wanted to answer the question about um, should believers go to war, and, and this is a study I did for myself uh, back after 9-11, and when the guys went over into Afghanistan and Iraq and so forth, and I never really taught it, I never preached it, because uh, it just never kind of came up in our group and, our, and so forth, but in light of the political issues of the day and in light of the things that are happening in our country, this question may come up for some of us to answer, and I wanted just to give us a biblical viewpoint, a, a, a biblical uh, understanding of the issues of war, and, uh, and, and really as it uh, is connected to the work of government. Uh, come over to Matthew 26, that's where we're going to start. Uh, we saw uh, last time, last week, there's only three legitimate reasons to kill someone, okay? And that's what you do in war. You know, I told you Patton said, shoot the guy first, you know, we don't want to die for our country, let him die for his country, that type of a thing. That's Rick's ad lib to it, okay? Sorry, I didn't bring in my quotes this morning. But uh, when, you th when you think about the issue that gets raised in the conscientious objectors and the pacifism, they use the, 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 one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And they say, see, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, so we don't go to war, we don't do this, and we stay home. Well, the Lord explained that in Matthew 13 over there where he says do no murder. And so when you talk about killing someone and you talk what you're talking about war, there's only really three legitimate reasons why. One is war and, and the issue of the national uh, military action to protect the liberty and the freedom of the nation from evil. The second legitimate reason in Scripture now we're talking about is the issue of self-defense, where you are defending yourself and your loved ones and so forth. And then the third one is one that really never gets to go to church too often, and that's the issue of capital punishment. And that comes with Noah in Genesis 9 and so forth. And all three of those are the only legitimate reasons, if you will, to kill someone. The issue of taking human life is a serious issue. And it's an issue that isn't that scripture has really quite a lot to say. One of the leading one of the things we saw last time is the fact that an individual has no right to wage war. Only and governments can do that. Only governments can come in and wage war and declare war. And we talked about Augustine's doctrine of a just war and I gave you those little brief things and so forth. And the fact is, is that's why Paul says, pray for your leaders. Pray for the government, because they're the ones that are responsible for deciding things that are going to design to protect, Romans 13, we're going to get over there, to design to protect the good and to defeat and to take care of the evil. And when we looked at the issues of government, the evil there is very specific. It's the issue of violence. 
and the imagination and the violence of men back in Genesis 6 and so forth. So I gave you two reasons last time. There's about ten principles uh, in, in Scripture here that I just kind of pulled out. The first principle we looked at was about talking about war, is war will always exist. Genesis 14, the first war, the first four, four or five verses there, the, the nations have just been created in Genesis 10. Genesis 11, they have the, the one world government going on. The Lord comes down, remove, uh, confounds the languages, sets up the nations, and immediately what do they do? Go to war. <laughs> they have a league of nations, they confederate together, and they go to war. That's in Genesis 14. In the beginning, what do we get? War. Revelation 19, what are we going to get? A war that's going to end all wars. And that's when the Lord comes back. So the question then is why war? Why do siblings fight? Why do spouses fight? Why do neighbors fight? James 4 says it's what? The lust of your flesh. It's sin. That's why we have war is sin. And it's in the nature of mankind to go to war. So it's always, number one, it's always going to exist. Number two, the peace propaganda is a weapon of warfare. It's designed to defeat the courage that's going to be required to go to war. When they cry peace, 1 Thessalonians 5, what comes? Sudden destruction. And we looked at verses last week, last time when they, people are crying peace and Boom, there's trouble on the doorstep. The Antichrist, the, the big one, the one, the, the anti. you know what he has? He has peace policies, and he comes in as smooth as butter and flatteries, and he's getting them all thinking about this hand, while what's this hand doing? Kaboom, war, see? So the peace propaganda is just a weapon of warfare. Now, you got Matthew 26. Here's number three. I actually have written these points out. I have points sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I have no points. But number three, the issue of, of a just war. And again, a just war is only legitimate when it's a nation. The government is doing it to defend and protect justice, liberty, freedom. I hope you understand that God loves freedom. Okay? God loves the issue of man having that first institution of creation, volition, free will. He loves the fact that you have and you are to have the ability to make decisions on your own. So if he loves freedom, what then does he also love? Accountability and responsibility. So if you decide to do something, you will pay the consequence eventually. That's the issue. He set government up. We'll see here in a minute where he set government in a position to have that responsibility. So a just war is from God. War is justifiable when it's protecting, when it's, sorry, prosecuting by a government against an evil. Notice Matthew 26. Notice verse 51. <clears throat> and <clears throat> Now this is the betrayal and the arrest of Christ. So we're in the garden. By the way, the conscientious objector thing, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about it. Usually they use a passage of like Romans 8, or I'm sorry, John 18, where he says that my kingdom is, 
not from here, and so forth. And what do they do? With the, they, 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 he says it's not, what does it say, Rick? John 18, just look over there real quick. Uh, you, when people throw the pacifism to you and stuff, ask them the verses that they're reading and using, and then you go look at those verses, and nine, out of, nine and a half times out of ten, they've misapplied the verse, they've failed to rightly divide the verse. Watch this verse, John 18, verse 36. Je- now, Je- Jesus is before Pilate here, okay? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants, what? Fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. So they use that. They use Matthew 5 and the peacemakers and all that stuff. But notice that verse carefully. The key word in that verse is the but now. Now, in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's coming meek and mild and lowly, sitting on the, donk, the baby donkey as he comes into town. He's not, it's not time for him to do what? Wage war. It's not time for his servants to fight. When's that time? Revelation 19 at the second coming. So to use John 18 as a get out of going to war is, is illegitimate. Of the, of, they don't rightly divide the verse. You see, the verse shows you right division. Now, in time past, he wasn't here to fight. He's there to go to Calvary and die for the sins of the world. But in the future, what's coming? It's going to come a big war. Okay, we'll look at it next week. Now go back to Matthew 26. I know I didn't say much about that, and I, it's not that I'm scared to deal with it. It's just I would rather get in with this. <laughs> Matthew 26, look at verse 51. And, G, uh, and behold, one of them which, was, which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Now we're talking about Peter. That's who did this. Peter reaches in. The Lord is there. They're going to take him. He's like, you ain't taking my Savior. And out comes the sword. Number one, he's got a sword. Isn't that interesting? He's not passive. The Lord has already told him to take up your sword. Bring them. He pulls the sword out. Swings at the guy's... If he takes off his ear, what was he heading for? (laughs) His head. The guy ducked, took off his ear. He reaches down. The Lord heals him. But notice what he says to Peter in verse 52. Put up again thy sword into what? His place. Where does the sword belong? It's in his place. Okay? By the way, he, doesn't, he didn't say, don't have it. Peter pulls the sword in defending the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it Peter's job to take life, or does it belong to the government? It belongs to the government. See, Peter pulled the sword in, a, in, a, in the wrong manner. Come over, hold on to here, come over to Romans 13. Uh, you, you can let Matthew go. Just go to Romans 13. Romans 13, where is, so where is the place of the sword? 
It's fascinating when you study this out and you get to looking at this, a lot of things that we just assume isn't there. The Lord doesn't say, don't have it. Why did you bring that sword? No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, put it back where it belongs, Peter. Where does it belong? In Scripture, where does the sword belong? Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Verse 4. For he is a minister of God to, the, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Notice where the sword belongs. Not in the individual, but where? With the government. Who ordained that to be that way? Well, back in 1776, the Constitution, no. Who ordained that? God did Genesis 1-1 when he set up the government system. He said, listen, the government is the, the, government is the one that's going to be executing the war, not man. Now, go back up into chapter 12. Notice what God's will for us, the individual. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. What great instructions here. Okay? Because I'm going to say something, and you're going to need to remember verse 18. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, what? Avenge not yourself, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. When, when does verse 19 happen? Well, what does Romans 13, 4 say? Vengeance belongs to who? 13.4. Who does the vengeance belong to? The government. So when an evil is done against you, whose job is it to avenge the evil? Government's job. Not mine, but government's job. You, okay? Got to catch this. You see, God's will for you and I is that we are not to personally take vengeance. We are not to respond personally when evil is done to us. Our response is verse 21, overcome evil of evil, overcome it, uh, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And the good there is verse 20, where you go out there and you take care of your enemy. But my point is, is the job, the place that the sword belongs is with the government. So I know what the question is. What happens when the government doesn't protect the good anymore? Because that's coming, isn't it? Well, what does verse 18 tell you? What does verse 17 and 18 instruct you to do? As much as possible to go live how? Peaceably. With who? With all men. So you know what that means? You're going to have a decision to make in your life when the government no longer protects the good, of how you can respond to it. Sound doctrine says for me to live peaceably with all men. Right? Sound doctrine tells me as an ambassador for Christ, my job is to tell people that they're lost sinners on their way to hell. How's that going to work for you? Sound doctrine teaches me a whole bunch of stuff, but when you think about this, it teaches me that I have a hope. It teaches me that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord teaches me that I have the ability to go live peaceably with all men, to look at what I think is a wrong and turn it into 
it's okay, you need to get saved, and you need to come to the understanding of the truth. See, now, I, I don't know about you, I've always wondered how people, believers, who understand the word of God rightly divided, can live in countries that torment them and kill them. And then at this passage, 12, 17, and 18, bells went off, angels sang, heaven opened. I was like, oh my goodness, there it is. They've made a conscious decision to do what? To live peaceably. To say, I'm suffering for the Lord's sake, for Christ's sake, and I'm okay with it. I'm good to go. Because what's the worst thing they can do to you? Nothing. Because if they kill you, which in their mind, death unto death, right? In their mind, they, they're going to kill you. In your mind, going, thank you, Jesus. I'm coming home. Follow that? So when you think about war, war is legitimate if it's to go after the evil. And again, the great debates is, is, okay, what's the evil and so forth? War against real evil is something that God uses and he has ordained in Scripture. So if your conscience is bound by the word of God, then you know, you're going to know that a just war is from God. And it's, let's get going when it's, when it's being handled correctly. Point four, come back to Ecclesiastes chapter three. I give you this, I, 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 I have talked myself out of three ways to Sunday of not doing this and doing something else. But my job is to be a helper of your joy and for by faith ye stand. You know, it's, it, you guys know that if this country falls to, to the wayside, which it will because of the sin-cursed nature of this world, then where do you run where you can have religious freedom? There isn't really any place that I'm aware of that doesn't have some other danger involved. You know, somebody, somebody told me one time, we're going to, we're going to Central America. And I'm like, yeah, but don't you got a little rebel problem going on down there? You know? Oh, yeah, but we can do, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever. So you, I just give you this information, think it through, Okay. Ecclesiastes, did you find it yet? All right, good. You can cheat, it's okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The fourth point, there is a time for war and there is a time for peace. There is a legitimate time for war to be waged and for peace to be used and to be installed. Chapter 3, verse number 1, to everything there is a season and to every purpose under heaven, and the song begins in our head, and it's time to be born, and a time to die. Notice, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill. Now, that's not murder. That's the issue of self-defense. There is a time when you legitimately can defend yourself. Verse 8, a time to love, a time to hate, a time to war, and a time of peace. The enforcement of justice has priority over any nonviolence, any peace process. Because the only way to have true peace is to wage war. That's the only way. And if it's a just war, 
which is the only war there should be. The only way to gain true peace is the absolute defeat of the enemy, and that's the only way you can instill true peace. You hear the politicians, we're going through the peace process and all this backdoor talk, and you know what happens? Nothing is decided until a war is fought. Troops on the, on the, on the ground. So the question is, is, okay, when is it time for war? Well, it's time for war in two ways. Number one, come over with me to Numbers 32. It's a time for war. Number one, for the protection of a nation and the freedom of that nation. So in other words, not for selfish reasons but to secure justice and to secure the protection of the freedom of the nation is the only reason for war. So war is the only way, again, to, to gain true free. Think about the 17, the Revolutionary War. That was a just war because what did it establish? What was it gaining for the, the participants? Freedom, liberty. And they were... They had to, they could, they tried the Peace Avenue, by the way. They sent the king the Declaration of Independence. And you know what the king did? Not going to do it. Made it even harder. They tried, the, and what did they end up having to do? Go to war. Numbers 32. The only way to gain true freedom, true justice, is the all-out defeat of the evil. Numbers 32, Israel is going to go into the land of Canaan. And they're going to have to go in and wage war. Verse number 5, Wherefore said they, If we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Moses has got them going, they're, they're getting up, and, and Gad and Reuben don't want to go in and fight. They don't want to cross the Jordan, verse 5. So they're asking Moses, leave us on this side. You guys go fight, leave us over here, verse 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war and shall you sit here? Isn't that interesting? It's not right for you to sit here and everybody else go fight and you reap the benefits from the fight. And wherefore, discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given. For when, I'm sorry, thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. Don't be a pacifist. Don't say, I'm not fighting. Because what does it do, verse 7? It, it brings in discouragement, doesn't it? Wait a minute, we're over here taking it, getting on with it, and they're sitting over there enjoying. What? No, I want to be with them. Verse 14. Now watch how Moses deals with these guys. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men, to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. 
If you don't go, what he's saying there, if you don't go fight for the land, it's sinful. You're sinful men. It's sinful not to go to war. Verse 20. Drop down to verse 20. And Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, ye will go armed before the Lord to war. Notice they're going to go how? Armed. Let's talk about that in just a minute. And the Lord, I'm sorry, and the land be subdued before the Lord. Then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. So if you go fight, you'll get the land on the other side of Jordan. But you'll be what? Guiltless. It's guilty. You're guilty. Verse 23. But if ye will not do so, don't go to war. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be, your, be sure your sin will find you out. And there's the part of that verse that everybody knows, and none of them realize. Everybody uses it. Be sure your sin will find. What is the sin? Not going to war. <laughs> That's the context. Not drinking and going over here and doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. The sin is not going to war. It's clear that there's a time to go to war. And it's sinful not to go and fight. Verse 31. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said unto the servants, so will we do. You know what they said? Point got, point made, we're going. We're going to go to war. We'll go and fight so that our land will be safe. So what you have... In the time of going to war, one, we're going to go fight to protect the, 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 the freedom and the liberty of the nation. But now in verse 31, when it is time to go to war, you don't always have to wait for an invitation. That's the problem sometimes with our country is we fight like gentlemen. We wait to be provoked. Not in Scripture. They're going in. They're fighting. So a preemptive attack is, guess what? It's okay. Go get it. Go get them. Come over to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. War is always the last resort. Deuteronomy 20, verse number 10 and 11. Deuteronomy 20, verse 10. By the way, Deuteronomy 20, the whole chapter is about the law of warfare. It's fascinating. Verse, we'll be back in Deuteronomy 20 here in a minute. Verse number 10, When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. They come up against the city, first thing out of their mouth is what? Peace. Verse 11, And it shall be, if it make thee answer of peace, and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. You're ready to war. You're going to war. What's the first thing you sue for? Peace. Verse, thir- verse 12. And if it will make no peace with thee. By the way, the peace is 100% surrender. That's what verse 11 is talking about. Tributaries, they, they, you own them, they're yours, spoils of war. Verse 12, and if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. No peace, 
We're going to go to war. War is always the last result. Over there in Deuteronomy 30, Moses says to him, I've laid before you life and death. Choose life. You know what he says? I laid before you peace and war. Choose peace. Because if you got peace, you're going to have life. If we go to war, you're going to die. And that's the issue. Point number five, come over to Numbers chapter number one. Numbers chapter number one. Get your Old Testament workout this morning. Numbers one. War is for adults only. Now there, and it's mainly in scripture for men. Now there are women in the army. Don't get it wrong. Deborah was a, was a judge in the judges. She was a part of the military. But she was not on the front lines. Okay? So the key in this in Numbers 1 is it's adults. Numbers 1, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the, in, in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation, on the second day of the second month, in the second year, after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel and their families by the house of their fathers, with the numbers of their names, every male by their poles. From 20 years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. Notice the age. They're going to gather them all together, and how old are they? Interesting, not 18. They're what? 20. When they go to war, there's an age. By the way, he'll say there in verse 3, uh, all that are able to go forth, we'll talk some more about that in just a minute. There's an ability. In other words, there is a choice in the matter of whether you go into war or not. Not based on being an, a conscientious objector full of passive, I just don't believe in it, but, no, but rather some other things, we're going to get there. But the age is what I want you to catch. These are 20-year-olds. They're able to make the decision. A, a soldier is to be a single-minded adult because adults are, are able to make decisions to be committed to what's going on and it becomes a free choice and clear choice of their own will. Come over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24. I hope you get the sense that this stuff is not just thrown to however you want to fight. <laughs> There's very prescribed issues here. Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 5. This, is, this, one, is, this one just fascinates me to no end. Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war. The one guy says, yeah, it's because the war's at home, but that's not. It isn't. No, it isn't what it is, okay? Neither shall he be charged with any business. Hey, I didn't say it. A friend of mine did. Huh? Yeah. But he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. Isn't that interesting? Cheer her up. You know how long the honeymoon's to last? One year. That guy doesn't go, he does, he's, a, he's, a soul, he's of age to go. But you know what he's to do? He's to stay home, cheer up his wife. Why? Because that marriage becomes a foundation. That year he's able to, to lay in that foundation of that marriage to last forever there. 
And if he's, by the way, if he just got married and he's over in the battlefield, where is his mind? Back at home. That's why there, it must be a single-minded adult, 20 years old. Now, there are exceptions to this. And the exceptions we're going to get to here in just a minute have, do show up. But the thing of the matter, come, over, come back to Numbers 31. The thing of it is, is that there's an age re- requirement and it's 31. I mean, it's 21. It's 20. I need you in Numbers 31. <laughs> okay? Number six. War demands training. So the need of a defense department is a legitimate function of the government. The soldiers are to be trained to kill. They are to be trained for warfare. Numbers 31, verse number 3, And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Notice they are to arm some of yourselves unto war. They are to go. They are to go war. Verse 4, Of every tribe a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel, ye shall send to war. So there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. Hey, recently, the gun sales in this country have gone out through the roof, right, over the last six, seven, eight, nine months. And you know what? It's all, and most of it is, is, uh, is us guys stockpiling for later. But most of it is the, is the uh, that was a joke, people. It's okay. You can laugh. It wasn't funny? Okay. All right. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. No, it's first-time buyers. And you know what? It's interesting. They interview the shop owners, and they say, these are first-time buyers. Go get trained. Why? Because you got a piece of equipment that, if used improperly, can kill yourself and can kill others. See? See, the thing is, is they are to be trained. Come over to Judges, chapter number 3. Judges, chapter number 3. It's all right. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, right there. Deuteronomy, Judges, chapter 3. You see, there is a legit government. I I was reading some of the old guys way back in the first, second century, and they're writing about government and what is necessary. One was the Department of Defense, and the other is the uh, tax department, the revenue department and then the judges, the judicial branch. Other than that, the rest of it they didn't care about. It's like, oh, okay. You know, life's a little more complicated today, I guess. Judges 3, verse 2. Oh, uh, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of, of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. All the wars of Canaan. I mean, this is the, the book of the wars of the Lord, he calls them. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. At the least, such as before, knew nothing thereof. God says, there's war. You're going to be in war. You need to be well trained. You need to, every generation is to learn every element of war. 
How old? 20 years and up and able. We're not talking about little uh, young people. We're not talking about the seniors. We're talking about that middle-aged group that can go and war. You realize that we have generation in this country that have never been a part of a war? Not a skirmish. I'm talking about a war. And we have generations that most of their life was in, in a war. You've got to learn this. You've got to be taught this. Come over to Luke 14. Luke 14. This stuff, and, and the reason I stress this is this is not just entered in haphazardly. Because you're, def, you're defeating, you're protecting the nation. You're protecting the justice and the freedoms and the liberty that's there. So you've got to go, you go fight this out. Luke 14, verse 31. I just, this just kind of an aside here. Luke 14, 31. There's a parable here. Luke 14, 31. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Now, that's a principle of war right there. Well, well, is my 10 better armed, better trained than that guy's 20? If it is, we're going with the 10. If it isn't, we need 30. <laughs> Follow that. The training. Come back to Joshua chapter 11. You, you look around, Joshua chapter 11, thinking about training. Think about the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets and the special force groups. They just don't take anybody, do they? They take the, the alpha of the alphas, as they say. Why? Because that little six unit has got to defeat odds that are beating them at 10 to 1 sometimes. They've got to win. So what are they? Better trained, better equipped. Set for the battle. The valiant men of David, when Dave, King David went, he didn't have hundreds of thousands. It was 600 of those guys. And they defeated armies. Why? Better equipped, better trained. They knew what they were doing. They're in it. Number seven, the objective of war is the utter, utter defeat and destruction of the enemy. And again, that's the only way to assure peace is a complete annihilation. In our country, we've seen what has happened when that has not been the case in wars that we've fought. Think about that. The Afghan-Iraq war is ending up. It's coming to a conclusion now, apparently, and you read in the news, and guess what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen, but... History says there will be trouble over there again. Okay? Joshua 11. I read a book years ago in high school on the Vietnam War, and one of the generals, he said, you give me and my 5th Brigade and we'll take this whole country. But if you tell me again to give up that hill, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> he was talking to his politics. Because what did he do? He'd go take the hill. Vietnam, turn around, give it. Some of you guys were there. You heard, you know, you're aware of the history. Give it right back to them the next day. Just stupid as stupid could be. But what were they doing? They weren't going to win the war. See, if you're going to win, 
utter destruction of the enemy. Joshua 11. Now Joshua's an interesting guy because Moses told him, when you go in there and you defeat those guys, you're going to wipe them out. You're going to burn everything. You're going to even, after you get done burning, you go through the fires and you find the hoof of the cow and you burn that some more. There's to be nothing left of the Canaanites and the, all the ites that lived in that land. You're to go in there and you're to wipe them out. You know what Joshua did? He went in there and wiped them out. You know what the next generation of Israel did? They didn't wipe them out. They kept the good stuff. And you know what happened? Apostasy entered into the nation of Israel because, because they kept the good. Joshua 11, verse 21. War's not a game, folks, that you play on a video on the TV screen. As the one guy said, war is hell. And it is. 11:21. At that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains from Horeb from Debar, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There were none of all those guys left. <laughs> what did he do to them? He destroyed them. He wiped them out. Verse 23, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their division by their tribes, and the land rested from war. When the enemy was completely destroyed, what came in? Peace. That's the principle. Decisive, military, come back to Deuteronomy 20, military, victory stirs the claim of peace, solidifies it. You have to have an effective strategy, tactics, logistics that are designed to accomplish the complete destruction and utter defeat of the enemy. You're to teach that. You're to take that 20-year-old head and teach them. I looked at going into the Marine Corps coming out of uh, high school. And I was reading books about them. And they take you at 18, and they tear you down, and then they build you up into the Marine that you're to be. Hold your hand this way. Brush your teeth this way. Make your bed that way. Do it. And it, it's very fascinating. You know? Bounce that quarter. <laughs> Bing, ding. <laughs> you know? Why? Because they're going to go teach you how to kill. And they got to know you're going to do what? Their way. And if you're not, then there's another remedy for that. Point eight. War demands moral courage. The only way to accomplish the utter defeat of the enemy, not to faint, the only way to see the job through is moral courage. It's battle courage. That's why it has to be adults with a single-minded purpose and training to do what they need to do. Understanding what the goal is. they got to have the courage to do it. Deuteronomy 20 and verse number 1. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies 
and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. Isn't that interesting? Israel goes to that battlefield. You know, the, the British, they hated the, the rebels, the American rebels, the colonists. You know why? Because they wouldn't fight fair. They're shooting from behind the trees and the bushes and all this guerrilla tactics. Britain would march out onto the field in their order, right? When you see that overwhelming of force, what? Be not afraid. Have the courage to go to battle. Have the courage to go. Now, watch the rest of the verse, because that verse didn't end there. He says what? For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up into the land of Egypt. So you know what they used to pray on the battlefield? Let's have the courage, because the Lord's with us. And you know what? That works for Israel. It don't work in the age of grace. It doesn't work for you and I today. The Lord isn't with you in this sense right here. We're talking about Israel. So then what do we do? How do we today in the age of grace have the moral courage to go to battle? You know what it's called? Sound doctrine. That's what it's called. Where you come and you take and you have resident in the sound doctrine of who you are. And what needs to, we all need to have the sound doctrine, the truth of God's word, resident in our inner man. To know that when the nation that we live in calls, that it's just and we answer the call. You see, Israel, they had an ace in the hole. They had, the, they had God Almighty. The Lord, the man of war. That's what he, you know. You know what we have? We have an ace in the hole too. It's called sound doctrine. And it's called the ability to go and to participate in the nation that we live in and fight. And it, a just war. And it's just. Verse 2, 22. 20 verse 2, and it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say, by the way, that's why there's chaplains on the front line, that verse right there, just FYI. And shall say unto them, hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto the battle against your enemy. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. It's the responsibility of the leaders of Israel to impart that sound doctrine into the hearts of those men that are ready to go to war. Battle courage demands moral courage. It, de it demands that the truth be resident in the hearts of the people. The Think about today. The truth of God's word, His grace... As you build sound doctrine into yourself, into your family, into others you, you encounter, you begin to build sound doctrine into the nation, this nation. And this nation needs it. And when wars pop up, there's a great discussion today about a civil war coming in this country. You want to fend that off? When the bullets fly, people die. You know what's going to fend that off is sound doctrine. You and I. That's what's going to fend that off. Slow it down. Verse 5. And the officer shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Now notice there's some exemptions. There's some uh, 
legitimate reasons for not serving. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto the house, lest he die in battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Wow, the heart's not in it. Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren... Brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. You've gone through all of the training. You've gone through everything. And at the end, your heart's still not in it. What could they do in Israel? They could go home. Because what we don't want on the battlefield, in the foxholes, is a guy who's not there to do the job. We want him home. We don't want him with us. He's not a coward. He's not a, an AWOL. He's been through the training. He's been there. He's done everything, and he's still not in it. Send the man home. God wants single-minded adults out there that have, a, have the spiritual fortitude, courage in their hearts to go to battle. Man, that's fantastic. You and I can take these principles into us today because point number nine, come, about, come on over to Revelation 12. Point nine, sound doctrine prepares people for war. What were those guys in Israel doing? What was that priest out there doing? Hey, man, let's get ready. We're going to fight. Here's how you're going to fight. And oh, by the way, we got the Lord, the man of war on our sides. We got God on our side, literally. So they were able to work with that sound doctrine and function and go. By the way, when there's no sound doctrine in the people, guess what? There's no courage to oppose the evil. The most important thing that we can do for our nation is to see that God's word, rightly divided, is proclaimed and made available to the people to be believed. And I'll be honest with you, we do a lousy job of that. And I say that, me first. That's our job. You want to slow down the rebellion of the Northwest or whatever's going bad east and blah, 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 all the stuff you read and hear about, you know what's going to stop that? Sound doctrine. People seeing the fact that they need to get saved and they need to come to the knowledge of the truth. That comes from you and I. And the reason for that is because it's the only thing that has the answer to the evil, to the war issue. And that answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to get him into the equation. He needs to be on the table. Truth needs to be on the table of the discussion when it's had by the politicians to make the decision to go. It's not there. We've, we've done a lousy job. Number 10, point 10, last one. God uses war to accomplish his purpose. God's purpose is to defeat evil, 
to defeat iniquity and to protect and establish his people in the, in the earth and in the heavens. Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was a hold-handing, peacenick time in the heaven. Yep. No, there was what? Revelation 12, 7. What was there? War. What are they doing up there? Michael and his angels fight. Fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his hand. They're not sitting there passing teacups and tulips around to each other. What are they doing? The ultimate destruction, verse number 9, in the great dragon was what? Cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived, and they were cast out. Ultimate defeat of the enemy. Come over to chapter 19 of Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. There's the freedom of the earth. He comes down and he defeats the enemies of... He defeats the false prophet. He defeats the, defeats the beast, verse 20, casts them off into the lake of fire, takes devil, the, the dragon, ties him up for a thousand years. Next chapter, he's going to defeat him again in the last great battle. People call that Mog and, uh, Gog and Magog and all that stuff. And you know what? It's war. Now come to Philippians 2. Why? Because you don't, you don't have peace. Can you, can you think about, I think about the thousand years. Here you've got the righteous judge on the throne. You've got perfect peace. You've got perfect righteousness. You've got perfect justice. Satan's bound. He's loosed. And the Gentiles of this world are still deceived by him. So that they go to war against God and his people. You see, the issue in war is that issue of sin. That's the issue in the nature of man. Philippians 2. Look at verse number 9. The only salvation to willful rebellion is decisive victory. Every knee, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, talking about the Lord, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some will, natural, some will willingly do that, and there are going to be some that will not. And it requires war to make them bend the knee. The only answer and the only salvation is to willfully defeat the enemy. And that's what war is all about. For us today, we sit here, 2020. The government, in some eyes, the government is failing us. In other eyes, it's not. In other eyes, who cares? <laughs> Everybody's got their own thing. But you know what, for us, you know what we need to be? The pillar and the ground of the truth. That's what we need to be. We need to proclaim and make available God's grace. We need to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. 
when we do that, we may never stem the tide of war because it's not, it's not our responsibility to declare it. When things come and things happen, there'll be decisions that we have to make. Still in this world, everybody's still trying to get into this country. So we're, there is no place to go that I have found. If you found a place, don't tell anybody, because then we're all going to be there, okay? All right? But what, what do we need to do? The pillar and the ground of truth. We need to take every available resource that we have and proclaim the message. Get it out there. Strike fear in the hearts of men. Rally the cause. Stand in the gap. Do the stuff. Why? Because we're in a spiritual warfare, aren't we? When we run up against people that we disagree with, they're not your enemy. They potentially could be your brother and sister in Christ if you open your mouth and give them the gospel. And they believe the gospel. Then they move from enemy to what? Friend. That's Romans 12. That's what we need to be about. If the call goes out, then the call goes out and we have to make that decision. We don't have to decide that till then. <laughs> Hopefully it kicks it and never comes, but you never know. Just know in Scripture, war is clear. Now we're going to talk about the government next week in your body, because that's coming too. And that one hits a little more home for us than war, Okay. What are we about? Pillar in the ground of the truth. Want to know where the truth is? It's right here. Hold it up. Shine it. Okay? Just kind of think about these things. It's there. I just showed you. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the instructions in your word. We thank you for who we are in your Son for the all-spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for the all-sufficiency, for all of it. And as meager as it sounds to just say thank you, yet that's all that you ask that we say. And then we go and live our lives for you. And Lord, I pray that we would do that in regards to war, in regards to every detail in our life. We'll do it as we are to walk honestly before all men. And we do it as we obey your word. We give you the praise in your name. Amen.